This morning we're continuing our sermon series. We're going through a thing called the season of thanks. You may have heard of Thanksgiving. It's kind of a big thing this time of year. So I want to walk through a little bit about where we're going, where we've been. If you miss any of these, you can always go back and catch us on YouTube. You can catch us on Facebook. You can catch us on our website, wordserve.org. Last week, we started this thing off. Now, if you're an engineer, I told you last week, you're going to love this series. It's all about the numbers. Last week, it was 24-7. This week, it's 10 to 1. And that's not the odds on the series. The series is over. All right, 10% and then 100% is coming I know, I'm sorry, man. I'm just laying it on. Jimmy's in the back going, come on, man, come on. Let it, let it rest, let it rest. But we're talking about the season of thanks. We're talking about this idea called gratitude. And I want to ask you this question to start off with. Have you ever experienced ingratitude? How many people have ever experienced ingratitude? All right, so I got a picture that will sum this up. Now, I am the father of three daughters. And they're all grown now, right? They're all adults now, but they captured this look perfectly. Because if you're a parent, you know this look, right? Look at the, look at the hip, look at the tilt of the head, look at the eye roll, like seriously, like, oh my God, you know, this, this, <laughs> this is ingratitude incarnate, right? So if, if you're a parent, maybe you've prepared that special meal and then you know, you've labored, it's a labor of love, and then everybody turns their nose up at it. Or, or you lay out this special spread, and then your, your spouse comes home and goes, oh, I'm sorry, I grabbed the sandwich home on the way, the way home from work. <clears throat> or, or, or maybe your child says, well, my jeans aren't the right jeans because they don't have the right name on them. I told you I was a father of three daughters, and, and we had that discussion once. Did I tell you I used to have four daughters? <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm just, I would never do that to my daughters. I took a magic mark and I wrote the right name on it. That's what I did. That's, so it, it's interesting when you, when you feel that ingratitude. It, it, it's amazing how it makes you feel. Because here you're offering something of yourself, your time, your money, your heart, your sacrifice. And then for someone to just look at that and go, meh, what does that do to you? I mean, how does that make you feel? What do you feel as a parent, as a spouse, as a coworker who's not recognized, as a, as a person in school who's trying to do their best, but the teacher just doesn't seem to know your name? How does that make you feel? It makes me feel pretty icky. But here's the thing that I noticed as I studied this week's passage, and we'll get to it here in a second. I hate feeling ingratitude for something that I've done. But you know what really twisted my head this week? Is I realized that, Dom... I am the ungrateful one. Now, Bill, you're a pastor. You should be grateful for everything. Yeah, I am. But I tend to live in a state of ungratefulness. This is my morning confession. <laughs> Welcome to my morning confession. But we're going to unpack what that means because there's a thing that gratitude does for us that we may miss. And here's a good quote I found on this. Gratitude opens door, open. Gratitude's open door for blessing, <laughs> opens the door. Okay, I'm not an English major. Gratitude opens the door for blessing. Ingratitude shuts the door of blessing. Now, think about that for just a minute, because oftentimes we think about, oh, gratitude, that's just something that I should do because it's a buzzword. There's all these journals you can buy. There's all these podcasts that say I should do it. But have you ever thought that ingratitude might actually cut you off from something that is far greater than anything this world can give? Because it does. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to have this fear of missing out moment where we realize what gratitude can actually do for us. 
And we're going to do that through scripture this morning. Now, normally I set the stage for the scripture. I tell you all the background and the story, and then I read the scripture. We're not going to do that this morning. We're going to read the scripture, and then we're going to use the context of the scripture to highlight three main acts that I want to give you. A-C-T-S, not acts. All right. So let's turn to scripture this morning. We are in the book of Luke in chapter 17. Excuse me. And we're going to read verses 11 through 19. If you'd like to follow along, I'm going to put this uh, up here. You're going to recognize the story, perhaps. But we're going to go back and pick it apart for these three main areas. So I want you to listen as we go. Here we go. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. These are the words of God for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. Jesus uh, has this fantastic encounter with these ten people who have no hope. And the first thing, the first act that I want to pull out of this is this idea of being a Samaritan. Because it bookends this passage. If you notice right at the start, he's on his way to Jerusalem, traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And then if you go all the way through the story, this idea comes back again. Because of the ten that were healed, one came back and the one was who? A Samaritan. So what is this thing with Samaria? Why is this such a big deal? They must be really honorable people because they keep showing up. There's a parable of the good Samaritan. There's this, this guy who gives thanks. Samaritans must be wonderful people. No, <laughs> no, not to, according to a first century Jew. So what is the deal with the Samaritans? Well, here's an eye check for you. And here's something that I learned about laser pointers. They don't work on TV screens. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to point on the wall because it disappears when I go to the TV. Woo-hoo. All right. So up here, Galilee is where they are. This is where they're traveling. Jesus is bound for Jerusalem. Woo. This is fun. Right down here, drawn across the, yeah, yeah, I'll get the idea, right? (laughs) So a straight shot would take you right down through the middle of Samaria. Now, this is mountainous terrain, so it's not like you just walk anywhere you want. There are very funneled ways that you go. And people know this. They know that there are funneled ways that you go. So that's where the population centers are. That's where the trade routes are. That's where the, I don't know, bandits are. That's where the robbers are. That's where everybody is. But notice what this says. On his way to Jerusalem from Galilee, traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. So look back up at the top here in this yellow over here between the border. He's not walking a a straight line. He's walking whoppy jaw. Now, why is that? Because there's a lot of animosity between the Jesus Jewish people and the Samaritan Jewish people. Did you know that Samaritans were also Jewish? See, therein lies the problem. 
because you have to go back and understand the 25 cent history behind all this to understand where the animosity comes from. Who all remembers King David? So far, so good. King Solomon? Good. What happened after King Solomon? Civil War, right? Kingdom split, north and south. So basically where you see everything that is Samaria and everything that is Judea, which Judea is down at the bottom, that was the old north and south kingdom. So did that cause the split? Yeah, that started it. But here's what happens. If you know anything about the way the ancients did this, the northern kingdom was overrun first. And it was overrun by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were not kind people, but they were clever people because they would take the best and the brightest. They would take them back to Assyria. They would educate them. They would send their best and brightest to rule over the land, and then eventually they would take those people that they stole and put them back in place after they had been re-educated. So what happened when you had this mixing of cultures? You also had a mixing of religions. And to the Jewish person in that first century, that was a big no-no because there is God and there is God alone. And so religious practices from the Assyrians began to creep into Samaria. And it's called Samaria, by the way, because the capital of the northern kingdom, the capital of this area, it was Samaria. That's the capital city. So the whole region now is called Samaria. As these practices crept in, the southern kingdom in Judea still existed. They were still following the one God, and they saw what was happening as this, the formal term is called syncretism, where you start to blend things together from other religions. And so they, they saw this blending of religion, and they considered them as an apostate religion. That means I'm not practicing the real thing here, guys. Come on. Let's get back to the book. You're doing things that, that don't belong in, in our religion. You're incorporating practices that we don't agree with. And, and in fact, we're downright hostile about. And it got more complicated because according to the Jewish people, you had to worship in Jerusalem. Where is Jerusalem? Well, golly, it's down in Judea. So when this kingdom split in the middle of there, Samaria... They did a really clever thing. The leader of that northern area created a different worship site, which unfortunately uh, does not show up on this map, but it sits about right across from my pointer there. Well, yeah, it does, actually. My eyesight's terrible. Mount Gerizim, there it is, that little triangle right there. So that's where we worship. So you don't have to go and cross into the enemy territory of Judea. You can worship right here in our territory. So when you hear that encounter of Jesus and the woman at the well and they disagree about where they worship, that's what they're talking about. See, this is a long developing hatred between these two. So much so that people traveled all the way around Samaria to get between Jerusalem and Galilee. Which makes it even more interesting that the one person that came back after this healing and gave thanks to God was a Samaritan. See, according to the, the people in Judea, the, the Samaritans were one that were looking for God in all the wrong places. They had all the wrong ideas. They didn't understand who God was. They were heathens. They were terrible people. And yet, the one Samaritan was the one who came back and gave thanks to God. See, Jesus is purposefully using this as an irony, as a hyperbole to say, this one person who was looking for God in all the wrong places is the one person who gets it. One person in ten came back to give thanks. And here's a remarkable thing about Jesus. Jesus healed all ten of them anyway. Now, remember how you felt when I said, how do you feel when you experience ingratitude? 
I can tell you that if I knew that one in ten was going to be thankful for what I'd done, I probably wouldn't do it. I got better things to do with my time. I got paint to dry. You know, I got hair to cut. I got nails to trim. I, I don't have time for that. One in ten is a terrible ratio. But Jesus did it anyway. Healed all ten of them. That just blows my mind. So, Act 1 being Samaria, now we understand the animosity, the reason that they travel around. Now we understand why the Samaritan coming back to give thanks was such a big deal because the people who should have got it missed it. They got physical healing, but what did they miss as a result of not giving thanks to God? Some would argue that there's an even deeper healing there that they miss, and that's the spiritual healing, the wholeness, and the wellness that comes from that relationship with God. Do we, word serve, sometimes look for the obvious physical thing and miss the greater spiritual thing? That's my first question this morning. I'll let you stew on that for a second as we go to Act 2. Faith in action. As we've said over the last couple of weeks, there's this weird thing that happens where we get this revelation from God. There's this thing required of us called obedience. And if we obey, then there's this transformation that happens afterwards. See, a lot of times we ask for things from God but we're not willing to take a step of faith. God, give me a sign. Give me, I want to make an impact in this community. Show me how to make an impact in this community called Fulcher, God. I'm going to wait until God gives me everything that I need so that I can go and make an impact in community. That is not the way it works, folks. See, we have to take a step in faith. And as we step in faith, we get what we need. We rise up. God equips us. It would be the equivalent of saying, God, I'm running a marathon next month. Can you give me the endurance right now? Well, no. You don't need the endurance right now. You need the endurance while you're running the race. That's when the endurance is going to come. See, I think a lot of times words are, uh, at least for me, I pray for things. And I, and I want that 100% solution. I want a full tank of gas before I take off. I want full armaments. I want the whole nine yards before I go to battle, but that's not the way it works. We have to take a step of faith, and in the steps, we experience what God has for us, just as these lepers did. Now, understand, leprosy was a big thing back then, because you were condemned to a life of isolation. You could not be around anybody. This was a very contagious disease and had very drastic impacts. So, yeah, they, they purposely made leper colonies. These people couldn't live in society. In fact, if they were to approach anybody, they had to declare themselves unclean by saying, unclean, like from a mile away, so you would know to stay away from me. And so it's a pretty bold move when these 10 guys come out and say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Heal us. Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priest because he knows that's the way they get brought back into society. Now understand the risk here. If these guys go to the priests and they are not clean, they get a twofer, and it's not good. The first one is they contaminate the priest. The priest who is, has been in touch with this uh, uncleanness now is unfit for duty for at least seven days. That means Bill can't preach Sunday because he's got to go home and uh, whatever you did back then, ceremonial bath, whatever, right? But then if they came and they were unclean, they were doubly labeled. Uh, you, you tried this once, no, you're, you are not clean. You, are, you get this message again. You are not part of our community. 
Like, I only need to hear that once to feel pretty unwelcome. I would hate to hear it twice. But that's the risk. Now, notice what the text says. They didn't get healed right away. It says, when he saw them, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, it doesn't say how far this guy got before he realized that he was healed and he came back. But I'm thinking, if I noticed that I was well and I had a chance to reintegrate into society, I would do everything that I could, as quick as I could, to make sure I got back into society, which meant I better get to that priest before something changes. But this guy said, no. No, There's something more important. I'm going to give thanks to the one who did this for me. And he turns around, and he goes back to Jesus to give thanks. Not just say, hey, thanks, but like lays himself at his feet and thanked him. The one who was looking for God in all the wrong places showed the ones who should have known better how to praise God. That's a pretty powerful lesson. I don't want to be on the, the wrong end of that one. But here's the biggest question of all for me. Why gratitude in the first place? And along with my proper English from before, gratitude opens the door for blessing. Ingratitude shuts the door. Why gratitude? Why should we practice this? Because, first of all, it frames everything in light of the kingdom. What do I mean by that? Well, if I ask for healing, and again, I'm going to go back to my favorite question, to what, to what end? Why do I want to be healed? Uh, so I can feel better? Okay, that's, that's not bad. I mean, I don't think God wants us to in a perpetual state of suffering. But if I could be healed so that I could serve you better, if I could be healed so you could use me, if I could be healed so you could use the story of my healing to influence someone else for your kingdom now, that's powerful. If I want to, to have something, do I want it just for me? Do I want it just for my family? Or do I want it so that I can better serve him, so that I can make, like we sang earlier, the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? See, that's powerful. And, and gratitude does that, because as I recognize that there's a higher place for my request and my desires, even Jesus had to suffer in order to save. Think about that for a minute. Talk about framing things. When Jesus talks to his father and he's grateful for everything that he has, that includes the trip to the cross. Now, did he ever question it? Yeah, you bet. Is there any way that this cup can pass for me? But ultimately, he did exactly what he needed to do, and he did it with gratitude. Jesus had to suffer in order to save. Gratitude frames things in light of the kingdom. But here's the one that blows me away the most. When I'm grateful, especially to Jesus or to God, I identify the source of things that fulfill me, that make me whole, that make me well. Think about that. If I'm grateful to someone, I'm identifying the source of the thing that has blessed me. If I'm grateful that I have a lot of money in my bank account, I might be grateful to a company. But can you take that with you? Ever seen a U-Haul in a funeral procession? <laughs> if I'm uh, uh, grateful for my health and I just thank my doctor, that's good. I mean, my doctor had a huge part in wellness. But again, to what end? And what about the body that's fearfully and wonderfully made that had a part in this too? What about the people like you that prayed for me? What about the community that came together? What about the stories that I have now? What about the people that I could minister to? Because now I understand. 
identifying the source of those blessings keeps me in touch with who, who it is that really provides me eternal gratification, who really fills my soul, who really makes me whole. Because we chase a lot of things in this world, very few of them will make us whole, and very few of them are eternal. In fact, just one is eternal. So gratitude helps us frame it in the kingdom, helps us identify the source. So how do we do this practically, Bill? Uh, I get, I'm bought in. I want to do this gratitude thing. How do I do this? Well, I have some very practical suggestions for you this morning, and you might think they're dumb or you might not, but I encourage you to at least give it a shot. And the first one is to keep a journal. Keep a gratitude journal. At least once a day, write down something. You can do that electronically on your phone. You could do it with a notebook. You could do it on your computer. Write down something that you're grateful for. And the reason I say write it down is because if you're like me, I have a pretty short-term memory. Like something I was grateful for yesterday, I may not remember today. But over time, if you look back at where God has been active in your life and you look at the things you had to be grateful for, you'll see a trend and you'll see a God who's bigger than you can imagine. The second one is to develop a gratitude rhythm. I can't tell you how many people I see that have notifications that go off like every 10 minutes. We have the technology right in our own palm of our hand to remind us to be grateful, but do we use it for a reminder to be grateful? I'm reminded of emails that come in. I'm reminded of texts that come in. I'm reminded of baseball scores. Sorry, last joke, I promise. <laughs> but how often am I reminded to be grateful? Here's my challenge, word serve. Set a reminder to be grateful at least once a day, maybe twice a day. If you're really gutsy like the psalmist, seven times a day. Set an alarm and be grateful for something and write it down. The last one then is to use music. A lot of music elicits uh, praise. That's why we call it a praise band, right? And, and you can go right on YouTube for no cost at all and Google praise or gratitude playlist and you'll get a whole list of songs that will help you find that gratitude. It's not as hard as we think. So here's, here's the fascinating thing to me as, as we wind this up this morning, as we look at the story of Jesus and everything that he's done, the, the last context that I want to give you this morning in this story about Samaria and faith in action and uh, all these reasons for gratitude when Jesus was traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem, he was traveling to the Jerusalem. This was his last trip, and he knew it. As the scripture says earlier, he set his face towards Jerusalem. He knew exactly what was coming at the end of this trip, and what was coming was a cross. In other words, Jesus was enacting a small miracle with ten that he would reenact as he gave his life for millions. And he knew, Jesus knew, what ended at this road in Jerusalem, and he knew there would probably be less than one in ten that would take this gift of his death that he's given us. Talk about ingratitude. I mean, it's one thing to heal lepers and say not give thanks, but what about if I laid down my life? What about if I came from heaven and assumed a human form? What if I suffered the most miserable death that you can imagine from an unjust court? What if I were mocked, scorned, beaten? What if my entire band of people that I invested two and a half years in and three years in abandoned me when I needed them most. And he did it anyway. He 
gave his life anyway, knowing that less than one in ten might respond. As we look around the world, there's been millions, if not billions, of people impacted by Jesus Christ. And there have been millions, if not billions, that have not accepted this gift. That have been indifferent or ungrateful. Odds are less than one in ten that we'll be grateful that we'll accept this gift. But word serve, my question to us this morning is, is today the day that you are that one? Let's be grateful, and let's make the odds not one in ten, but at word serve, ten to one. Will you pray with me, please? God, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Forgive us when we don't have that big picture. Forgive us when we're uh, indifferent to the gift of life that he's given us, life eternal, the freedom that he gives us. And God, forgive us when we ignore your voice in our lives. Remind us to look for the source of everything that we have to be grateful for. Remind us of who you are in our daily lives. And then give us words and actions to show the world who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.